Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Do you know what the secret sauce is to P&G success? Gosh, I feel like this is a trick question. <laughs> Infrastructure, scale, iconic brands. I don't know where you're going with this. I mean, yeah, that's all true. I actually think it comes down to the investment that they're making in their employees. I am blown away by the continued education that happens there. And I've been to a lot of corporate America offices and I've never seen a company invest in education the way that PNG does. Like you can tell it's a culture that fosters innovation, even if you look at Katie Mogenberg's resume. I mean, she's invented pretty much every job she's had there. If you go to her LinkedIn, over the 19 years she's been at PNG, she's been an initiative manager in social commerce, a platform leader in global social media, a digital marketing e-commerce leader for global. I mean, they have just fascinating different roles within that. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. In preparing for this interview today, I obviously pulled up your LinkedIn and it's wild to read because, you know, as an outsider to Procter & Gamble, every single time I read your, you know, experience there, it's abundantly clear that you have created jobs. You led social commerce in 2010 you were leading e-commerce in 2011, and now you've created this unique role for yourself within the North America hair division. It's unusual, I think, to find someone who spent a bunch of years in corporate America, but have seemed to be able to create jobs that never existed before. So I'm just curious, like, what is that about? Yeah, it's been a really fascinating career journey at P&G. And I, I feel very honored to have had the opportunities I've had. And really, it's come from a blend of me raising my hand or getting picked for challenges, as well as creating new innovation when I saw an opportunity. So I came to P&G with a background in computer science. So I naturally gravitated towards like cutting edge tech and innovation and all those fun, shiny things. But at the same time, I've always loved business and I've always had like various side hustles throughout my life. When I was 10, I had a little paper route. So it's a bit of the core of who I am to experiment and try new things. To be fair, not all of those innovations that I tested and tried were successful, though. There were plenty of things that didn't work, but we learned and pivoted quickly to something that did work. So while there have been these moments of successes and being on the emerging end of things, It's really been about the constant experimentation and pivoting that has been a requirement to be successful in tech and overall e-business that has really enabled the growth in some of these new jobs that I've created. 
And eventually, once some of these things were successful, people would seek me out or others like me out to work on new ideas. So it's really been somewhat of a virtuous cycle that has given me this amazing career at P&G so far. Well, there is no better time to test and learn than a global pandemic. (laughs) So with everything that's been going on, how has the importance of your role in e-commerce overall changed since, since COVID hit? We had already been seeing a shift in consumer shopping behavior over the last several years to online as we monitor consumer trends very closely. And based on what we saw, we began building the foundation of our e-commerce business and growth with the assumption that it would be steady, but somewhat slower growth than what we've been seeing. Then we experienced a massive disruption with COVID where personal cleansing products became even more important to our consumers and their overall grocery and personal care shopping was often now starting in front of a screen versus at the shelf. And that's when we saw an even bigger shift to e-commerce as consumers found themselves home much more often than before. But since e-commerce was already a priority for us, the foundation we built enabled us to show up and be there for our consumers where and when they needed us the most. You talk about being in front of a screen and you mentioned grocery. Are there certain retailers that have been popping during this time that weren't before when it comes to the global hair care business? I mean, in general, we've seen a massive increase in growth across all retailers playing in the online space from pure plays to grocery shoppers that have now really transformed their online offering. We've seen growth across the board, which has been really fascinating. And it's been really impressive to see even your traditional brick and mortar and mass retailers really up their game and diversify their offering to meet the overall shopper need. Hmm. And you've, you've seen that happen in real time over the last two months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have seen lots of retailers really pivot their strategy, enable new offerings. There's been so many industry articles about traditional brick and mortars, as well as agile startups, like increasing the number of employees they have working on their businesses just to enable this overall shift. It's been really impressive to watch how fast the growth has accelerated. So, I mean, with growth comes chaos. And I think one of the things that uh, we all know here is that e-commerce isn't just a function of sales or an aspect of marketing. It really impacts the entire supply chain all the way to customer delivery and experience. So based on your experience at you know, P&G, how do you make sure that all of the people within the building have access to the right level of information when it comes to e-com. Yeah, e-commerce is hardwired into our business from marketing to supply to IT versus being off on its own. And so due to that structure, we work within our current business processes to ensure that e-commerce is always considered alongside our other distribution channels when we are building new innovation or commercial ideas. Even more powerful is the opportunity of delivering unique needs to a particular group of consumers, beginning with their search behaviors. And since we are integrated, we also heavily focus on lifting everyone's capabilities on e-commerce. As you know, there are nuances to e-commerce that don't apply to other channels. So we partner across the entire organization to ensure they understand these unique channel dynamics. So we are stronger and more educated as a unified collective team. For example, our research and development teams understand how search truly works, and they use those findings to plan effectively for our future innovation. 
Additionally, we're ensuring our supply chains can deliver against products that have wider reaching benefit. In addition to those that have maybe a more niche target. So all of us collectively take responsibility for and invest time in upping our capability to deliver in this current somewhat chaotic environment. That is inspiring to a lot of people that work in these large global multinational multi-category companies to be able to weave e-commerce and the mindset of e-commerce and the knowledge of e-commerce throughout the organization that's inspiring. One of the other areas that becomes a little bit murky is advertising because the way that advertising works in brick and mortar, there was this, this disconnect between consumer and shopper and the lines blurred with mobile, but now all of the retailers are getting heavily ramped as trying to be media companies on their own. How do you navigate that role of retailers as both a sales and advertising channel, but also a distribution channel and the need for you to still be driving awareness and other metrics in addition to all of those things? We want to be where our consumers are and we want to inform and educate them where they are receptive to that information which now includes with and through our retailers. Since we are integrated as one full end-to-end business, we are able to react and assess media and content opportunities as a full portfolio across the entire media ecosystem. So this enables us to select the best opportunity wherever that may be based on our business objectives. This feels like the perfect time to bring up major channel disruption in the overall beauty, personal, and hair care industry. Rachel, I can't believe you held back this long to bring this up. I know. Ulta stores are coming to Target. It's brilliant, and it proves out everything I've been preaching in market this year. First, consumers are looking to shop at fewer stores and are willing to build bigger baskets at those handful of stores. If you've read the tea leaves, you know, with Walmart, eBay, and Facebook all heavily investing in their marketplace strategy, you understand that they're all taking a play out of Amazon's book which is increase SKU count and give the customer the opportunity to only shop with them. The other part is during 2020, I've been shouting from the rooftops that e-grocery is about to become the major disruptor to Sephora and Ulta. What we're seeing at Micmac is that after consumers put groceries into their cart, the next thing that they go for is beauty, health, wellness. It definitely was a genius move by Target and Ulta, but based on what the data you're sharing, does that mean we're going to see Sephora at Whole Foods next? Whatever it is, I'm confident P&G will be one of the first brands there. And with that, let's go back to Katie. How do you think about building D2C, direct-to-consumer businesses versus a strategy of distributing products to online marketplaces and retailers? Ultimately, we want to be where our consumers are and where our consumers prefer to shop. From an online business standpoint, there are advantages to both DTC and leveraging online marketplaces like retailers. From a hair care specific standpoint, we ultimately need the business model to work for both the shopper and for P&G. High shipping costs due to the weight of certain hair care products make it essential that we build larger baskets to enable a profitable business model. And that's where our retail partners really shine as they have such a broad assortment that can build these larger baskets. On the flip side, DTC enables companies to have one-to-one direct relationships with consumers, and we get the data firsthand. In a category like hair care, where DTC is challenging due to those high shipping costs, we look for other opportunities to build those one-to-one relationships with consumers. 
So take our hair code platform, for example. This is a capability we've built across our portfolio in hair care to help consumers find the right products for her unique needs. Through that platform, we build one-to-one -one relationships with our consumers like a DTC brand would while leveraging our retailer partners for basket buildings and their logistics and fulfillment. That might be one of my new favorite examples of D2C and omnichannel retail. <laughs> Thank you. We're very proud of that platform. <laughs> no, it's the perfect synergy of capturing first-party data and then driving to sale at retail. It makes entire sense to me. Obviously, there are going to be millions and millions of people who turn to Brave Commerce to learn what's going on in the industry. But other than Brave Commerce, how do you keep up with all of the changes that are happening in our space? Well, I expect Brave Commerce to be my number one first and foremost. So as this gets up and running, I'm going to pivot all my focus here. <laughs> but in the moment, you're right, it is such a dynamic industry and staying on top of the trends definitely takes some focused effort. So I use a variety of tactics, including monitoring tech and business trends on Google News or AdAge or, or platforms like that. I do follow key thought leaders on social like Scott Galloway and Rachel Tipograph, in case you've heard of her. We also attend P&G events like our annual Signal Conference, which brings thought leaders from around the world. And we also have sessions with our strategic partners and agencies to help us educate overall. But in addition to that, I'm a person who just learns by doing. So I think growing up in the world of tech, I got my hands dirty and that's how I learned. And even now, as I'm leading my team and organization, I still take the opportunity whenever I can to go into the tools myself, look at the data, question assumptions, and try new things. I find that that helps keep me fresh and up to speed on what's going on. And as I mentioned earlier, failing quickly and learning ultimately allows me to grow and that value has, has always stayed with me throughout my early years all the way up to now. Thank you for that flattering hat tip. So much has changed in our industry for the last six months. And I only can imagine what planning right now is like for the upcoming fiscal year. But if you had to predict what e-commerce is going to look like over the next one to three years. I'm so curious, Katie, like what are your predictions? Yeah, this is an incredibly fascinating time to think about predictions in the future. And throughout my career at P&G, I have often looked to China to get a sense of where things may head. I've had the opportunity to travel there several times to learn and the evolution of that market has been absolutely fascinating. And while the ecosystem in China is vastly different from the U.S., their experience with the SARS pandemic in the early 2000s may give us some signals on what we can expect, as China's e-commerce massive growth has been attributed back to the SARS pandemic. So if I take learnings from the market in China, I expect we will continue to see a massive convergence of online and offline, offering consumers true omnichannel experiences. I mentioned earlier that it's been very impressive to watch traditional brick and mortar retailers across the industry quickly diversify their offering to meet dynamic consumer needs in this environment. And I really expect that trend to continue as consumers will expect more convenient, more seamless shopping experiences that they can get done in the most consumer friendly way possible. It's interesting. I never heard someone make that language, e-commerce and SARS, that that makes, again, a lot, a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the fact that back during that time, consumers were quarantined, 
had to be home. How are they going to get their goods? And ultimately, there have been a, a lot of really interesting industry studies that have cued back to the e-commerce surge in China started with the SARS pandemic. It, it's a really fascinating uh, dynamic to read up on if you have some time. It's actually one of the things that we've been we've been looking at, whether it's SARS. I, I, we've had clients that have actually studied the waves of the 1918 flu pandemic and then overlaid it with the recessionary behaviors of 2008. So you kind of push the two together. You kind of understand a, what's going to happen from an e-commerce adoption perspective, but also where are there risks as it relates to things like private label, brand switching, things like that. And so when you start doing all the different data and assumption machinations, either from recent historicals or cent- you know, century old historical, you can get to some pretty cool predictive modeling. So I think it's great that you guys looked back on that. There have been some very interesting changes, not just in e-commerce behavior that it's just been going through the roof, but even if you look at the socioeconomic diversity of people that are now buying online that weren't buying before, you're seeing that you're, you're seeing a much broader set of people buying. And then even if you're looking at the age of people who are buying online, certainly uh, my parents were actually always pretty good early adopters, but even even um, my grandfather who passed about a month ago, before he did, he was buying stuff on Instacart. So it it really does run the gamut, which is uh, just just shows where where things could be going. Actually, a very uh, off script question: What was the last thing you bought on e commerce? I actually just bought a new ergonomic desk chair. It was time. My old desk chair had started to just wear in. And now that I'm working from home so much more, like I deserve some comfort and a little bit of style. And so I ordered a new office chair, which isn't terribly exciting to most, but as a kind of tech nerd, like having my computer and desk set up be just right is really important to me. (laughs) Accenture put out a report because, you know, most of their employees have been operating remotely of all the furniture that people have bought over the last few years for like perfect ergonomics at home. Yeah, it, it has made a huge difference. It was worth every penny. So I would highly recommend it. If you feel like your chair is uncomfortable at home, go for the splurge, make it happen. You'll be happy you did. We did a, a report uh, back in April called the Quarantine Consumer. And it was about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs of all the different things people were stocking up on. So originally, you know, there was the run on toilet paper and disinfectant wipes and you start moving up the, the food chain and it's like, Oh, my gym is closed. Let me go buy some gym equipment. And then you're like, I'm bored. Let me buy some puzzles. And then I need to get my kids out of the house. Let me buy a trampoline. And you kind of move up. And the last thing, one of the last things is pimping your office. And there was this major surge in desk chairs and uh, second screens and better AV, things like that. And now that we're dealing with all this back to school stuff, as soon as a school district closes, we see a surge for kids' desks, noise canceling headphones, like all of the things that you need to like pimp out your home school. So definitely um, not terribly surprising that that's what you bought. I would love to get the recommendation of what you've got because my back is freaking killing me. 
Yeah, I will definitely send it over to you. I'd highly recommend it. It's funny when you're talking, the surge was probably Micmac employees because everyone gets a $500 one time set up your office payment at home. Katie, we now get to move to the favorite question of the podcast. So we call this Brave Commerce for a reason because we idolize executives like yourselves who really write their own rule book. So our ultimate question to end out the episode is what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? I would say the bravest or maybe stupidest, depending on your opinion, (laughs) thing I've ever done is a personal story that I also apply to my professional career, particularly when it comes to risk-taking. So in 2016, my husband and I came up with this incredibly brave or maybe stupid idea to hike Haleakala in Hawaii in a single day. So if you're not familiar, it's a 10,000 foot volcano from the ocean to the top. And normally people do short hikes at the crater at the top, or they do, you know, the trip broken up over a couple of days, but we made the crazy choice to try to do the whole thing in one day. And we had studied up on the hike and every account we read online, the hikers got lost. And even the park rangers at Haleakala told us We were a bit crazy to attempt this in the winter because the Hawaiian grasses were taller than my husband and I at some points and that we were even crazier for trying it in one day. And candidly, we second guessed ourselves up to the very last minute because we were afraid we were going to get lost. But ultimately, my husband and I, we really know our physical abilities and more importantly, our limitations. And so we thoroughly planned out our strategy thought through everything that could possibly go wrong and how we would solve it if it happened. Then we ultimately went for it. And the good news is the story ended up with us making it to the top, but not without the help from a few fellow hikers and having, a, having to fall back on a few of our, our crisis plans when needed. It was honestly one of the toughest yet most rewarding days of my life. And I often take lessons from that adventure into my regular life. So I'll set a goal that initially sounds ridiculous, even to me, (laughs) plan for what could go wrong, and then I go for it. And I, I feel like I know the power in asking for help from others. I know that sometimes breaking the emergency glass is okay, but in the end, I get a great lesson that comes out of it to prepare me for the next challenge. Wow. Love that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful and also crazy. It was. (laughs) I have follow-up questions. I know that's supposed to be the last question, but I have follow-up questions. Bring them, bring them. (laughs) Me too. First of all, at what point in in the day did you start? And at what point did you end? And did you take a bus down? Yeah, so part of the, the strategic planning included driving to the top the day before and parking a car at the top. And then we had a second car that we drove and left at the bottom. So it was a two-hour drive to the base. And so we left our little cabin on the island at, at I want to say, two in the morning. I think we got to the base at 4, 4.30-ish. And first light in Hawaii starts around 5. So you can see. So we parked our car, started the hike about 5. We did it in 10 hours, which in hindsight, I still can't believe we did it that fast, but we were, we were motivated and we were incredibly excited and just full of energy at this crazy challenge. So we managed to do it pretty quickly. And then we fortunately had a car at the top, which was good news. So we could actually get off the mountain (laughs) 
And that was absolutely the best night of sleep I've ever had in my life <laughs> when it was over. We got down, ate at this delicious Japanese restaurant that I still can taste the food, how good it was, and then went to bed and slept for a solid 12 hours with the most peaceful sleep I've ever had. <laughs> it was wonderful. You literally answered my question while you were telling the story. I'm like, what did she eat for dinner? <laughs> Admittedly, about halfway through the trail, the Japanese restaurant probably got us through at least two hours of the trail because we were talking about what we were going to order when we got to the top. So um, it was very important. There's a phenomenal Japanese restaurant on that island that if you ever end up in Maui, I will happily recommend to you. Well, Katie, thank you so much. It's amazing to see your career trajectory at P&G and so excited for all that's to come. We'll have to circle back to see if your predictions were correct. And so much to study in Google when it comes to China, SARS, and e-commerce. But thank you again for your time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.